don't know about anybody else, but I think we finally discovered a little bit of sunshine this week. Uh, we've had some showers as well, but we have had some sunshine, a sense that summer has, has made its way across Hadrian's Wall. Um, a few of my friends down south have been moaning about the rain, and I kind of explained that it was their turn for some rain and our turn for some sunshine. We're going to begin by singing a hymn which is on the sheet or on the screen. Sing for God's glory that colours the dawn of creation. And I invite you, if you're able, to stand as we sing. Come now to God in prayer, and I will lead us in a prayer from a book called Encircling Prayer, and at the end of that we will join together in the Lord's Prayer in whatever language and version is most natural for us. So let's pray together. Ever-present and holy God, we gather as people who feel your presence to worship you to praise you for being here amongst us and to name our passion for all that points to you. We come in all our weakness and with all our failings, rejoicing that in you we find love. A love that is stronger than our fear or our frailty. A love that calls us to respond in joy. Living God, you are love eternally to be praised for your delight in us. We come to you in our joy and our laughter, rejoicing that in you we find love. 
A love that liberates and frees all people. A love that causes us to shout to all nations. Living God, you are love, eternally to be praised for you delight in us. We come to you as community, as neighbours, rejoicing that in you we find love. A love that accepts each and every person as they are. A love that initiates action as we endeavour to love each other. Living God, eternally to be praised for you delight in us. Ceaselessly, you call us to love you and to love our neighbours. And in response to your call and your love of us, we bring our prayers together as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. So now it's time for our story, and we're on the video again, and we'll see which story we get this week. Mum used to say that he had ants in his pants. <laughs> and 
And his dad used to worry that he'd never get a job because he found it difficult to focus on one thing at a time. Sometimes, too, he used to get into trouble for talking too much and not listening to others. But as he grew up, Philip turned into a man who was very intelligent and somewhat everyone liked. He still had all the energy of his childhood and seemed to run everywhere. And when he went to sleep at night, he loved the feeling of being tired through having worked hard. He'd been thrilled to be chosen as one of the seven people who helped Jesus' friends, the church, making sure everyone had enough to eat. And he really worked hard for the things he was asked to do. He loved the new group of people that he belonged to and was excited to see how the church was growing every day. But then, something terrible had happened. And his good friend Stephen, also one of the seven helpers, had been taken away by an angry crowd for talking about Jesus. Everything changed that day. The church that had been meeting every day could no longer meet safely. There had been a man called Saul who had stood by whilst the crowd had thrown stones at Stephen. And now he was going around all the houses taking people away who believed in Jesus. Everyone began to run for it. But as they did, they talked about where they had come from and why they were on the run, and about Jesus, who they knew was the chosen one of God. It seemed incredible to Philip that God could turn something bad into something good. Through leaving Jerusalem because of Saul, the church were now taking the good news about Jesus further and further. Philip had left the city too, and had headed to Samaria, where he began to tell people about Jesus. At first, it started with one too. But then more and more people heard about this visitor from Jerusalem and all that he had to say. God even did amazing miracles through him, answering his prayers for people so that people who had been paralyzed could suddenly walk again. Everyone in the city began to be glad because of the good news of Jesus that Philip was telling them. It seems that even though he was now far away from Jerusalem, he wasn't too far away for God to be able to use him. But then, one day, Philip heard a message from one of God's angels. What the angel said really surprised Philip. He said, leave this city and go to the wilderness road. That was it. There was no explanation as to why or what would happen when he got there. But Philip did as the angel said. He went. People asked him as they saw him leaving town, aren't you going to tell us more about Jesus? But Philip just smiled and kept walking. When God asked him to do something, he will be going to argue. It was a long walk to the wilderness road, but as Philip had learned, you can never be too far away to be used by God. Now that same day there was a man returning from Jerusalem to his home. He was a very important man, with great responsibility for all the money belonging to the country where he was from. The sun beat down on him as he travelled in his chariot through the wilderness and he looked forward to reaching the next town and being able to have a cool drink in the shade. As he travelled, he was reading one of his holy books, words that had been written by a prophet and messenger for God, called Isaiah, nearly 800 years ago. He loved God and reading the words that had been written about him, but he often felt that he didn't really understand them. For that day, he had read about someone who had given up everything he had for other people, but he couldn't say who was being talked about. 
Is it the prophet himself, he wondered, or someone else? How he longed for someone who could sit in the shade with him and explain it all. Just at that moment, the man became aware of someone in his chariot and looked at him. It was Philip! God's spirit had led him to the place where the chariot was travelling and told him to keep up with it. Philip wondered who was in it and why God should want him to do this, but he didn't question it. He just got on with what he was asked to do in the way that he always did. As he got nearer, he heard the voice of the man in the chariot reading the words out loud. Do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked nervously, wondering what might happen next. How can I unless someone guides me? came the reply of the man. And with that, he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Philip climbed into the chariot, glad to sit down after walking in the heat of the day, and looked at the man. He was from a country where their skin was much darker than his own, and Philip wondered about what else was different between them. And then he realised something they had in common. The book the man was reading. Somehow the man had heard about God, and yet didn't seem to know about Jesus. Philip realised what God was doing, and why the angel had told him to come to this place. Philip looked at the page the man had opened. It talked about someone who was like a lamb whose life had been taken away. Seeing that Philip was looking at the page too, the man asked him a question that had been bothering him. About who, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? It was a perfect starting place for Philip to explain all about Jesus. And that's just what he did. He started with what the man knew and told him how Jesus was the one who gave his life for everyone so that people could know God and find out how much he loved them. After a while, he began to worry that he was talking too much, like he used to when he was a boy. He realised that he didn't know what the man was thinking, whether he had understood what he was hearing, or whether it was something he would choose to believe. He stopped talking and looked at the man, waiting for him to say Look, here is water. What is the Scotland being baptised here and now, said the man, gazing at a slightly muddy waterhole where the wild animals would gather to drink each evening. He commanded the chariot driver to stop, and both he and Philip got out. The edge of the pool was slippery, and the water warm as they walked into it together, watched by a critical flock of birds from the branch of a broom tree that grew there. The man said that he believed, as Philip put his hand behind him, and lowered him into the water, so that he was baptised. A new life had begun. Everything had made sense for the man, and he had chosen to become one of the friends of Jesus. So Philip wasn't too far away to use my God, was he? No. Even though he was already seeing God do amazing things, God had someone different for Philip to go. And Philip was listening. I think there's a lesson for me to learn there. To be ready to go wherever God wants to take me. That way, I'll always be in the right place at the right time. We went to some amazing places today, didn't we? But there's still so much to explore. Mm. But not now, though, eh? We're very tired.
So the Ethiopian man was reading a book, and the book was the scroll of Isaiah. So that's kind of a tenuous link to our next hymn. I try to find links. They don't always work particularly brilliantly. But a reminder that reading the books of the Bible can guide us and inspire us. So number 102 in the hymn book and also on the screen. Lord, your word shall guide us and with truth provide us. Teach us to receive it and with joy believe it. zones and after I've explained again where they are and roughly what's going on uh, we will have some music. If you want to stay where you are and listen to a reflection and share in an act of prayer then that's here, that's the contemplative zone and I'll be leading us through that one. If you would like to move around and uh, play then make your way through to the memorial room which is the active zone and, and that's just a place to play and move around and colour and have some fun, loosely connected with our theme. 
If you would like to do puzzles or colouring um, whilst you listen or instead of listening, or if you'd like to read the actual biblical text and ponder some questions related to it, then the snug is your place in the quiz zone. And if you would like to use your hands and make something to take away, we have some uh, gift and treasure boxes to be decorated using maps. That's my tenuous link for this week. Uh, up on the mezzanine and uh, Emma and Drew will uh, be guiding you through that. So around about a minute and a half, I think, of music as we make our choices as to how we continue to explore the theme. avenues for exploration. Scripture Union chooses to have a specifically missional focus in the story of Philip. First in Samaria, where he's fled to escape persecution, and then in an encounter with an official of a different ethnicity and nationality in the South. These are really rich stories for all kinds of different explorations. And yet, it seems to me that if you drill down they come down to the same core truth, that there is no place and no one beyond the reach of God's love. No one and nowhere is too far away geographically, racially, intellectually, spiritually, or any other measure we might like to think of to experience the transformative power of Jesus, to come to faith in the Christ of God. Well, you know that already. You didn't really need to come here today and hear me say that. But I guess there's a difference between knowing something and living it out. I wonder if we could imagine ourselves into Philip's situation. Philip was quite possibly of Greek extraction, giving his name, which I'm sure you know means a lover of horses. And he was resident in or near Jerusalem. He'd become part of the emerging church. Recognised for his character, his spirituality and his practical skills, 
He's been appointed as one of the seven deacons, looking out for the needs of the most vulnerable members of the community, especially the Greek widows. He's also seen what's happened to his friend and colleague Stephen. And now he, along with the majority of the believers, has fled, becoming dispersed throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. How might he have felt? How might we have felt in the same circumstances? If I'm honest, if it had been me, I think I would have been keeping very quiet indeed about my beliefs. And if I did meet up with other believers, then I would probably do so privately, even secretly, to avoid drawing any attention. Had it been me or people like me, I have a suspicion that the emergent Jesus movement would have fizzled out within a generation, defeated not by persecution, but by fear by self-preservation and, well, if I'm really honest, perhaps even apathy. But that's not what happened. And we are here today. Philip's story involves two distinct, different missionary enterprises in two equally unexpected places. First of all, in Samaria... The city at the heart of a region occupied by people viewed as heretical by mainstream Judaism in Jerusalem and Galilee. They might know the books of Moses, but their beliefs were unorthodox. And furthermore, in the city itself, a practitioner of magic named Simon had huge influence. I wonder how Philip felt as he looked around and got to know the area where he was now living? Did it feel to him as if God was absent, or at best limited in what was possible? Did he fear contamination if he engaged with the locals? Or had his experience back in Jerusalem, caring for elderly foreign women, taught him something useful? Philip's ministry and Samaria may, in some senses, have been seemed very similar to the work of Simon. The signs and wonders that were performed by Philip may not have looked so very different from whatever Simon was up to. But this work of, of Philip, alongside his preaching, led to huge numbers of people coming to faith and being baptised, including Simon the magician. Now, we could tie ourselves into all kind of knots about the details of what was involved here. But there does seem to be, to me, a sense that Philip recognised that absolutely nobody was beyond the reach of God's touch. That no sphere of life could not be redeemed. That isn't the same as saying that anything goes, as a later encounter between Simon and the Apostles Peter and John reveals. But it does remind us that even the places and the people that we might be tempted to write off as godless or hopeless are very much within the scope of God's redemptive purposes. I wonder if any of us have no-go areas, places we stay away from. I wonder if any of us fear that our own faith might be contaminated or distorted by contact never mind engagement with those who think differently from us. 
I wonder if a desire for purity and avoidance of sin gets in the way of mission or outreach. I wonder what we might say to those Christians, and I know a few of them, who take stands at body, mind and spirit fairs. Spiritualists are there, the reflexologists are there, the Christians are here. How would we feel about that? Or how do we feel about people who engage in active dialogue with people of other world faiths? I wonder how we might compare with Philip, who shared his faith with those around him in Samaria. The first story began with direct persecution of believers who were scattered and saw huge numbers of people respond to public witness. The second story of Philip is completely different and occurs during a journey in the south and an in-depth conversation with one person, a high-ranking foreign official who, as a result of mutilation, would have been denied acceptance as a proselyte Jew because the man was a eunuch. The truth is that not many people are gifted, never mind called the kind of public evangelistic enterprise that we see in the first story and whilst that reality is really good in assuaging the guilt we might feel because we can't do that active public stuff it can also be a very nice cop-out for avoiding the small-scale stuff outreach mission evangelism whatever name you like to give it to which everybody is called and actually is quite clearly written into the baptist declaration of principle It is the duty of every disciple of Christ to play their part in the evangelization of the world. I wonder if you've ever had that sense that you really ought to go and see somebody or speak to somebody now, today. Have you ever had one of those moments when somebody just pops into your mind that you've not even thought about for months or maybe years And then within a day or two, you hear news from them or about them. Because I've certainly experienced that. And I have a sense this is what kind of thing that happened to Philip as he set off along the wilderness road and overheard the sound of somebody reading from the prophet Isaiah. The conversation that followed is condensed into very few words. But we gather that this was an extended conversation that concluded in one man expressing his desire to be baptised as a believer in Jesus. Wasting no time at all, the two men entered the water and the Ethiopian man was baptised. If you read it in scripture, we have something that could suggest the story ends in a supernatural way, or it could just be a kind of a shorthand to say that that was the last save us all of each other. And that next time we hear about Philip, he's gone off to a place called Azotus, or Azotus, I'm not sure how to say it. We shouldn't get ourselves hung up about the ending of that story. Because the heart of this story is that, again, nobody and no place is beyond God's reach. No place and no person is irredeemable. First of all, this man is foreign. He was an African man from the kingdom of Ethiopia, which, according to my research this week, equates roughly to present-day Sudan. Borders move over time. And secondly, he is a eunuch, almost certainly a man whose sexuality has been deliberately impaired 
in order to exert control over his life. He may have been a very high-ranking official and free to study and to travel, but he could never marry, he could never procreate, and significantly, he could never, ever be fully included within Judaism. None of this was a bar to God's spirit, and none of it seems to faze Philip. Here is a man who sought diligently to understand the scriptures, has come to recognize Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy, and now says, what is to keep me from being baptized? What is to stop me from becoming fully part of the Jesus movement? And Philip, discerning no obstacle, baptizes him. I wonder what we'd have done in Philip's position. Would we have listened to that inner voice that said, go and talk to him? Or would our prejudice or anxiety have got in the way? Would we have had an open conversation with him? Or would we have become defensive or agitated? And when he said, what is to prevent me from being baptised, what might we have said? Well, that's a nice idea, but I'm really sorry, your your, um, disability excludes you. Well, maybe, but firstly, you need to do this or that or change the way you live. Or would we have said, that's amazing, that's fantastic, and here's the way we usually do it around here. Philip was an ordinary man in whom the community of faith saw potential as a deacon, a practical worker. And this task, willingly undertaken, was the start of a journey that saw him become one of the first missionaries of the early church. A journey that allowed him to discover and allows us to learn or be reminded that where God is concerned, there is no such thing as too far. Nowhere exists that is beyond the reach of God's love and redemptive power. No one, by dint of who they are or what they have done or had done to them, is outside the scope of the good news of Jesus. Perhaps today what we need is to be reminded of this simple and yet profound truth. Firstly, in relation to ourselves, that we are and never can be too far away from God in any place or in any part of our life in relation to those who think, who we love and who think like us, and in relation to the others, other nationalities, other races, other beliefs, other lifestyles, other experiences. Whoever it is, and wherever it is, nothing and no one is too far from God's redeeming love. This shouldn't surprise us, Because God created all that is in love. And in God's love, we live and breathe and have our being. It's easy enough to say that, to say there is nowhere and no one beyond God's love. That there is nothing that is irredeemable. And then we open the newspaper, or we turn on the television, 
we talk to our families and friends or we log into social media and our confidence in that belief can very easily be shaken. For our prayers this morning, I'm going to use a video which I have used before a while ago. It's a version of a song called God of the Moon and Stars, but it captures something of this tension for us. Captures something of the idea that God is the God of everything, even that which to us seems repulsive, and that God's love and transformation and redemption is for all situations. As a physical focus, we have a table with a huge map of Glasgow, an OS map of Glasgow, a globe and a a street map of Glasgow, and a cairn. Travellers often add a stone to a cairn just to mark that they have passed a place and to help others to find their way in the future. If at any point during that video you feel you'd like to come and add a stone to the cairn as a symbol of a prayer for a person or a place or a situation, or several stones, because I've got plenty of them, then just feel free to do so. If you prefer to pray by watching the video, or to pray in silence, any of those is fine. But we share together in bringing to God the whole of creation, recognising that there is nowhere, and nothing, and no one, beyond God's love. Oh, 
our prayers to the God of every place and every time in the hope and faith of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Loving God, we bring to you these gifts of money. We bring to you ourselves in all our diversity, different ages and different personalities, different nationalities and different ethnicities, different situations in life, knowing that you love and accept and cherish every single one of us. So help us to play our part in being witnesses for you in this week ahead and as we spend the money we have gathered in the name of Christ. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 356 in the hymn book, One More Step Along the World I Go. God of the near and far, in whom things are held together, bless us as we leave this place with the courage and confidence to reach out in your name to those who share this world with us. And may we also know your peace and love sustaining each one of us, now and always. Mm -hmm.